Today on the feast of St. Rose Philippine de Shane, let's just start briefly by considering a real quick thumbnail sketch of this extraordinary life of our holy patroness. Here's a woman who's homeschooled, a very high level of education for a woman in those days, the cloistered nun. She survives all the societal upheaval and the chaos and the persecution and the French Revolution. She then has a vocation to the active religious life. She's a teacher. She's a pioneer. She's a religious superior, a missionary to the pagans, and a saint right here in Missouri and Kansas. It's a pretty extraordinary list. There's a lot there. There's no way we have time to ponder even a part of it. So today, seeing that our beloved country is in the throes of an absolute moral collapse, an economic crisis, and political disaster, let's briefly consider how St. Philippine survived and thrived while she was living in the social chaos and the persecution of the French Revolution. Very briefly, the cloisters were suppressed during the Revolution, so she had to leave the tranquility and order of her religious life in the convent. But as she went back out into the world, she took with her her strong prayer life, and then flowing from that life of prayer, she added a life of active charitable works. In fact, she was so bold about going around helping the distressed that it was a matter of great concern for her family and friends. They were really scared for her. But she's armed with a profound faith and a complete trust in divine providence. As the Holy Word of God says in 1 John 4, 4, He that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. St. Philippine had those kind of convictions. So she went around caring for the sick, caring for underground priests. In fact, they, they had one in the home. He worked as, at, during the day as a manager of a, some sort of factory or something, and he'd say Mass at secret in the wee hours of the morning. She'd be visiting the underground priest in jail, caring for the dying, and when she found somebody dying, going and fetching one of the underground priests to assist them with the last rites. In short, St. Philippine thrived during a time of great social chaos by simply leading a life of faith, a life of trustful abandonment to the holy will of God, and a life full of acts of love and compassion. She's boosted in her sanctity during this time in life. Faith, abandonment to the will of God, acts of love and compassion. With that in mind, we'll take a few minutes considering from the point of view of the teaching of the church, each one of those. Faith, trustful abandonment to the divine will, and acts of love and compassion. Do that, we'll rely on the teaching of Blessed Dom Marmion and the great Garrigou Lagrange. Faith, Blessed Dom Marmion. But you may say, what is faith? Speaking in a general way, faith is the adhesion of our intelligence to the word of another. When an upright, loyal man tells us something, we know we're not watching TV. When an upright, loyal man tells us something, we admit it. We have faith in his word. To give one's word is to give oneself. Supernatural faith is the adhesion of our intelligence, not to the word of a man, but to the word of God. God can neither deceive nor be deceived. Faith is the homage rendered to God as the supreme truth and authority. We owe this to God. We owe that. We owe that. That's homage we render with our intelligence that he gave us to him. We render to God as the supreme truth and authority. Our action has to be childlike. This is me commenting right now. 
like a little kid when his dad says something, when you're a, a young child, you just know it's right because dad said so. My dad told me so. That's how. I, that's what God expects of us with respect to him. When you're little, you can't explain all the things your dad tells you. You just know it has to be right because dad said so. That's the attitude that God wants from us in the supernatural order. Back to blessed Dom Marmion. Faith is the homage rendered to God as the supreme truth and authority. In order that its homage may be worthy of God, we must submit ourselves to the authority of his word. Whatever be the difficulties our mind encounters. This divine word affirms the existence of mysteries beyond our reason. Faith can be required from us in things where our senses, our experience seem to tell us the very contrary of what God tells us. Take the blessed sacrament, for example. It is not obvious that our Lord is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, right there, alive, living in the tabernacle. That is not obvious. We believe it. Why? Because God says so. Faith can be required from us in things where our senses, our experience seem to tell us the very contrary of what God tells us. But God requires our conviction in the authority of his revelation to be so absolute that if all creation affirmed the contrary, we should say to God in spite of everything, my God, I believe because thou sayest it. We believe it because God said so. It is not a numbers game. We don't look around and take polls to see how many people agree with us. It is not a numbers game. God is looking for people who believe him because he said so. That's what faith is. And we're in a great sifting out right now. And apostasy is a great sifting out of the people that are going to believe God because he said so or the people that are going to go along with the mass the lemming-like stampede to destruction. That's what an apostasy is, and we're certainly living in one. Faith means we believe it because God said so. Just consider the situation with Noah. Noah spent a 100 years preaching and building the ark, preaching to everyone around him, building the ark. A 100 years, a whole century. And how many people believed him? Noah preached the word of God for a 100 years, warning sinners of the great flood, Building an ark, and how many people believed him? Seven. There were eight on the ark counting Noah. It is not a numbers game. Everyone else was destroyed. God is looking for people who believe him, and we believe because God said so. And now, it's an opportune moment to make a few remarks for these so-called scripture scholars all these intellectual pygmies of our modern age that run around saying their mistakes in God's holy word. What's that? What is that besides blasphemy? What is that to say their mistakes in God's holy word? As if all these intellectual pygmies have suddenly put on judges' robes and climbed up in some chair and put all the fathers and the doctors of the church over there and said, you know what? Y'all are a bunch of morons. Y'all weren't smart enough to see these errors in Scripture. But we're really smart. We're modern men. We got indoor plumbing. You guys are dumb. And then they put God over here and set him on a chair. And then these same pygmies, having God on the hot seat, sit in judgment of him. Are you really sure you meant to say that, God? God, you don't really expect us to believe that, do you? After all, we're modern men. 
We got news for all these intellectual pygmies. We don't judge God's word. God's word judges us. We don't judge God's word. God's word judges us. The word of God judges us. His only begotten son, the word made flesh, is coming to judge the living and the dead. We don't judge God's word. God's word judges us. Keep it all in perspective. We believe there are certain men that can whisper words to pieces of bread. And that bread becomes a man And that man is God. We believe that. We have to believe that to be saved. And that's not obvious. That's not obvious at all. We believe it because God said so. We all believe that. God said so. And look, if we can believe that, and we have to, everything is downhill from there. Everything. Everything is downhill from the mystery of the most blessed sacrament of the altar. It's not obvious, and everything is downhill from there. Just pick one example that none of these modern pygmies believe in. The age of the patriarchs, like Methuselah. The Word of God says Methuselah lived over 900 years before he died. Of course, all these pygmies tee-hee over that. Methuselah's father, do you know his name? His name is Enoch. Guess what? Enoch and Elias, Elijah goes by Elias or Elijah, were both taken up by God. They haven't died yet. They're going to come back at the end of the world to fight the Antichrist and preach to the people before they're killed by the Antichrist. In fact, the great doctor of the church, that great bishop and doctor, Cardinal Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine, states clearly in his book on the Antichrist, and I quote, it is heresy or proximate to heresy to deny that Enoch and Elias are the two witnesses spoken of in the book of Revelation, that will come back at the end of the world. Okay. And they haven't died yet. That makes Enoch about 5,000 years old and Elias about 3,000 years old right now. So Methuselah is small potatoes. And that's way easier to believe than our Lord is sitting there alive right now. We believe because God said so, that's why. Okay, that's faith. We're in an apostasy. We believe, not because anybody else believes, we believe because God says so. Second, trust in God. We'll go to the great Garagou Lagrange. St. Paul states thus, Romans 8:28. We know to them that love God, all things work together unto good, to such as according to his purpose are called to be saints. I'll read that again. That's the word of God, Romans 8:28. We know that to them that love God, all things work together unto good. To such as are according to his purpose are called to be saints. Garrigo comments. God sees to it that everything contributes to their spiritual welfare. The ones called to be saints. Everything. Not only the grace he bestows on them. Not only the natural qualities he endows them with. But sickness too. And contradictions. And reverses. As St. Augustine tells us. Even their very sins which God only permits in order to lead them on to a truer humility and thereby to a pure love. It was thus he permitted the threefold denial of St. Peter to make the great apostle more humble, more mistrustful of himself, and by this very means to become stronger and trust more in the divine mercy. 
Nothing comes to pass, but God has foreseen it, willed it, or at least permitted it. He wills nothing, permits nothing, unless for the manifestation of his goodness and infinite perfections, for the glory of his Son and the welfare of those who love him. In view of these principles, it is evident that our trust in God's providence cannot be too childlike, too steadfast. Indeed, we may go further and say that this trust in providence should be as blind as is our faith. We should have an absolute blind trust in God's divine providence. We must take special note here of these words in the Gospel of St. Luke, Luke 16.10. These are very consoling. Here's the word of God. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is greater. I'll repeat that, Luke 16.10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is greater. Garagu. If every day we do what we can to be faithful God in the ordinary routine of life, if every day we do what we can to be faithful to God in the ordinary routine of life, we may be confident that he will give us grace to remain faithful in whatever extremity we may find ourselves through his permission. Burn that into your minds. If every day we do what we can to be faithful to God in the ordinary routine of life, we may be confident that he will give us grace to remain faithful in whatever extremity we may find ourselves through his permission. And if we have to suffer for him, he will give us the grace to die a heroic death rather than be ashamed of him and betray him. This is where the grace of martyrdom comes from, being faithful every day in our ordinary duties. If we do that, he'll give us the grace, should he call us to martyrdom, at the moment we need it. Watch The Man for All Seasons, one with Paul Schofield, Orson Welles. It's a wonderful movie. You're watching St. Thomas More try to dodge and weave his way from a crooked government, people that are trying to get his head, and all the way, he's just doing the best he can, using his wits, being faithful, being a good Catholic. Finally, he gets pinned. Then he discharges his conscience. And those are his actual words in the trial. Tells him what he thinks and has the grace to lose his head. And he's making jokes as he goes up the scaffold. Incredible graces. How? By being faithful every day to his daily duties. God gave him the grace he needed at the moment to become a martyr. So even in the most dire circumstances, if we do our duties every day, we can be confident that come what may, we'll be all right. We have to have an absolute childlike trust in divine providence. Even the worst things that can happen, God will take care of us if we're just doing our duties every day. Okay? So I St. Philippine could walk around like that. Absolute childlike confidence in God. A faith, childlike faith. Childlike trust in his will. Love and compassion. Last virtues we'll talk about. We're turning back to blessed uh, Dom Marmion. The commandment of the love of brethren is a supreme wish of Christ. It is so much his desire that he makes of it not a counsel, but a commandment. His commandment. And he makes the fulfillment of it the infallible sign by which his disciples shall be recognized. In this all shall know that you are my disciples, that you have love for each other. It is a sign all can understand. None other is given. All shall know. No one can be mistaken as to it. The supernatural love you have for one another 
will be the unequivocal proof that you belong to me. And in fact, in the first centuries, the pagans recognized the Christians by this sign. See, they would say how they love one another. For our Lord himself will be the sign he will use in the day of judgment to distinguish the elect from the reprobate. He himself says so. Let us listen to him, for he is the infallible truth. Listen to what St. Teresa of Avila has to say on this subject. Quote, God asks of you only two things. The one is to love him, and the other is to love our neighbor. That is therefore what we have to strive for. In accomplishing this perfectly, we shall be doing his will and shall be united to him. That's the aim. How are we going to be sure of knowing it? St. Teresa. The most certain sign by which we may know if we are faithfully practicing these two commandments is, in my opinion, if we have a true and genuine love for our neighbor. For we cannot know for certain to what extent we love God. Although there are many signs by which we much judge of this, but we see much more clearly where the nub of our neighbor is concerned. It is then extremely important to consider carefully the disposition of our soul and our outward behavior towards our neighbor. If both interiorly and exteriorly all is perfect, then we can be well assured, for considering the deprivation of our nature, we could never love our neighbor perfectly unless we had within us a great love for God. St. Teresa Avila, Don Marmion continuing, Christ has become our neighbor. Rather, our neighbor is Christ presenting himself to us under such or such a form. He presents himself to us suffering in the sick, in the needy, in those who are in want, a prisoner in those who are in captivity, sad in those who are mourn, and I might add, in the people we find unsufferable. But it is faith that shows him thus in his members. And if we do not see him in them, it is because our faith is weak. Our love is imperfect. That is what St. John says. If we love not our labor whom we see, how can we love God whom we see not? If we do not love God under the visible form under which he presents himself to us, that is to say, in our neighbor, how can we say that we love him in his divinity? Let us never forget the principle that should guide us in this path. We are all one in Christ and his charity that preserves this unity. We only go to the Father by Christ But we must accept Christ entirely in himself and in his members. There lies the secret of the true divine life within us. That is why our Lord has made mutual charity his commandment and the object of his last prayer. They all might be one. Let us strive to fulfill as far as possible the supreme wish of Christ's heart. Love is a source of life. And if we draw forth this love from God so that it may be shed unfailingly upon all the members of the body of Christ... Life will superabound within our souls. For Christ, according to his own promise, will pour upon us in return for our self-forgetfulness, a measure of grace, good and pressed down and shaken together and running over. Thus, blessed Don Marmion. Today on the Feast of our Holy Patroness, let's ask St. Rose Philippine Shane to obtain for us a rock-solid faith, an unshakable trust in divine providence, in a heart overflowing with love and compassion for our neighbor.